Welcome to Where Parents Talk. My name is Leanne Castellino. Our guest today is an educator, child and family counselor, and parenting coach. Ulrika Jove is also a workshop facilitator for kids, teens, and parents, an entrepreneur, and a parent herself. She left a successful 20-year career as a not-for-profit executive and fundraising professional to pursue her current work, which includes being part of the team at Connected Parenting. Ulrika joins us today from Toronto. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Leanne. I'm very excited. Let's dive right in. How would you go about defining Connected Parenting? So Connected Parenting is a model. It's it's a type of parenting uh, that was founded by Jennifer Kolari, who um, has been doing this work for over 30 years. Uh, Jennifer and I crossed paths when I was doing my master's, when I went back to school, and we we just sort of instantly connected. And I, no pun intended there, um, you know, with regards to, I really sort of aligned myself with the model right away. A lot of the things that I was doing in my personal life at the time uh, with my daughter um, was kind of intuitive, but then this really kind of put the framework around it. And essentially, if you think about it, like a model of more like conscious, you might have heard of conscious parenting, peaceful parenting, um, sort of just mindful parenting. Um, if you're familiar with a parenting um, style, it would sort of align with the authoritative version of parenting versus authoritarian. What that means is we look more at consequences versus punishments. Um, it looks at empowerment, the relationship between parent and child, rather than it being a control between parent and child. Uh, and sort of at the heart of the model, which I really like, it really kind of speaks to the brain and the heart, but really at the heart of the model is the acronym COM. And COM stands for connection, uh, obviously, given that it's connected parenting, and really that the idea of connecting to your child the A stands for your affect, your tone, the tone that you're using with your child in those particularly those big moments. Uh, it also stands for agenda. A lot of the times parents bring their own agenda to things and the ability to be empathic is truly really important to this model. Um, and some people, they think they know what empathy is, but sometimes it really kind of requires that shift. The ability to be able to see from your child's perspective in that moment. And then I added one, this is not Jennifer's, but I added it um, because I thought it was really important for the A was authentic. Kids can smell your emotional radar from a mile away. And so when you're coming at something in a very sort of robotic or um, prescribed way, they feel it. So really being able to embrace this in an authentic way is important to the connected parenting model. And that requires practice. Uh, the L stands for listening. Uh, we love to talk as parents. We often like to talk at our kids and start to go to problem solving right away. The ability to sit back and listen and sort of sit in that moment and be uncomfortable is part of this model. And then finally, the M stands for mirroring, which if the easiest way to describe it, because we don't have a ton of time, is sort of that it's very similar to active listening, except it takes out that sort of sales pitchy um, way of doing things. So your child really feels seen, heard, understood in that moment, and they feel very connected to you. So then you can move into problem solving or correcting or whatever might be going on in that particular moment. So really, it kind of focuses around empathy and sort of that brain heart connection and being aligned that way. Lots to unpack there. Um, but I wonder if we can start with 
the idea that there are so many parenting approaches out there, right? Why would you say connected parenting has particular relevance and resonance now as we speak with everything going on in the world uh, and in certainly in the world of raising kids today, which is uniquely challenging for a host of reasons? Absolutely. I mean, this is a big reason why um, I got into this work because there is so much information and parents in particular are overloaded. It's hard to find things, you know, even if you Google certain things, you know, you just get like a whole rush of things that come up. Um, and when I went back to school and did my master's, it was very clear to me that what I wanted to become was a knowledge translator. So yes, I work for connected parenting and it really resonates because it really follows a model of almost um, logic you know, where it's like when you are in a relationship where you feel connected, where you feel that there is trust and safety, then you can move through those harder times much easier, right? When you feel disconnected, your parent is someone that you can't talk to. That makes those big moments that much harder. The other part of this is that there's a lot of jargon out there. And so the connected parenting is very simplistic. It can actually be, can be applied while you're doing other things. So it's not like an either or thing. Um, and it really then the other part, sometimes these models get uh, criticized. I was just listening to a podcast um, where they're sort of criticizing this model because they're saying, well, it's very, you know, airy fairy. It's like parents are just letting their kids do whatever, or there isn't that sort of discipline, quite the opposite. When you apply these types of models, in this particularly in this period of time and you have the empathy connection but also balanced with the setting of limits the ability to follow through on a concept and a, follow through on a consequence that's where the magic happens the other piece that we talk a lot about in connected parenting which you know it's phenomenal i don't know if you'll smile at the at the recognition of this but I am constantly amazed at how many people don't know how to apologize. And parents in particular don't apologize to their kids and say, hey, I made a mistake, I'm sorry. We say very quickly, you know, it's okay to make mistakes, it's okay to fail. But as a parent, they don't want their child to see that. And it's quite the opposite, being vulnerable. Uh, and I think that's what makes the connected, the connected parenting model very special is it really has these three elements to it. The empathy and connection, that brain heart connection piece, the ability to communicate, learn how to emotionally regulate yourself first. That's really important. Also with the balance of setting limits and consequences and saying no, learning how to do that with our kids especially when it comes to technology, parents really struggle. <laughs> you know, no, iPad time is up. How do we do that in a loving way? And that it's not where it turns into a yelling or a control match. And then third, that ability when we have those bad days, because no one's perfect, no one's striving for perfection here. And sometimes parents are made to feel that there is some prescribed formula. If you follow this exactly, it will everything will be fine. Or if you're not doing this, you're a bad parent. And it's quite the opposite with connected parenting, where that third piece of saying, you know what, I messed up today. Today was not my best day. I was not the version of myself that I'm proud of. And I'm sorry. Those three pillars are really key, I think, to the connected parenting model and make it very special. It strikes me that so much of what you've described there really falls into the category of parents having greater self-awareness 
um, you know, obviously communicating. But the other piece that you talked about there that I think is really important, it is such a pain point for families, certainly probably families that you deal with, is the saying no piece. I wonder if you can provide anecdotal examples or, you know, just just kind of paint a picture for how a parent can manage that, because I hear it from parents personally, and I hear it from educators, because when kids go into the classroom and they're not used to hearing no, and then they yes. hear no, that is yeah. a complete foreign concept to many children today. So I wonder if you could kind of paint a picture of how a parent can manage saying no and following through on consequences. Absolutely. Um, usually how it works is that we're either really good at one or the other. So I happen to be very good at the empathy and connection piece. And sometimes the following through and the consequence, because I say something in the moment, um, I'm not so good at. Number one reason why is because we don't want our kids to miss out, you know, and sometimes we just level these consequences. And then we think after we're like, oh, but I don't want them to miss out on the birthday party. That was dumb. And then the kid sees that you're not following through. Number one thing is do not set a consequence when you are angry, when you are yelling and screaming. You know, I remember very fondly, not so fondly, where I literally in a moment of pure anger had taken every toy, every stuffy, every opportunity out of because I was so frustrated with my child. And so we end up doing that. Christmas is canceled. Florida's canceled. You're never going to see your friends again. You know, we level these things when we're very angry. So taking a moment and a pause and saying right now, this conversation is not going anywhere in a good way. I need to take a moment. I need to think about how to do this. Number two, um, being able to follow through is make it something that makes sense. There are sometimes natural consequences and imposed ones. If the consequence doesn't match what the particular uh, incident was, it probably isn't a good one because there's no um, comprehension from the child's point of view is why are you doing this? So for example, if your child is, um, being particularly mean to their sister or brother. And then it's like, well, you're not going to have your iPad time. Those two things don't always sync up. You're trying to raise a good human. You're trying to raise and teach your child the values and the morals that are important for you, for your family and what you deem sort of going forward. Sometimes it's not an imposed consequence that needs to happen. It's a conversation. So there doesn't always need to be some sort of consequence that happens. Sometimes it's it's that feeling bad piece. Oh, I feel really bad. Um, the other piece that I would say is when your child comes to you and they tell you something that they've done and you've sort of put it out there to say, please come and tell me. And they're honest with you and said, you know, mommy, daddy, I messed up today. I did X, Y, Z. That's huge. You know, the fact that they're coming home and telling when you then turn around and give them a consequence, say, well, that's great. But then now you're going to do this, this and this. That's going to deter them from coming and talking to you again and telling you the next time, because human nature would be like if somebody's going to then consequence me for coming and telling you something, I'm probably not going to do it again. So those would be three quick tips of, of how to sort of follow through on them, making sure that they're realistic and that they're not um, too big. The other, sorry, the one other piece that I did want to say is sometimes it doesn't have to be for a long period of time. Let's take technology because it's a hot topic in pretty much every single family I know. You don't need to take the iPad away for a week for it to be effective. It can be, you know what, we're putting the iPad away tomorrow. You're not going to have your iPad tomorrow, but we're going to try again the next day because I know and I have confidence in you that you can do it. Something like that doesn't have to be these big, you know, or long or drawn out things that happen. 
so many golden nuggets in there because they are pain points, right? And then there's the ages and stages where, you know, some of it may apply at a different age and stage. And as they get into, you know, teenagehood, adolescence, uh, uh, young people, there are different challenges that, uh, that you have to kind of look at as a parent. But what would you say about that in terms of what you just described as it relates to connected parenting going through different ages and stages? I think the one that is consistent all the way through and one when you're setting consequences and looking at these different things is that one of the things that I that I often encourage parents to do, no matter what the age is, is co-collaborate with your child or your adolescent. So you know what, hey, you've set, you've set a curfew and it's now the third time your adolescent's coming home late. You know, what is that consequence? So let's talk about that. So what happens next time? You know, we want you home at midnight. If you're coming home at one, two in the morning, what is the consequence? What, what do we agree on together? When people co-collaborate, they're much more inclined to think about, okay, yeah, I did make that agreement with mom and dad. So I need to call them because I'm going to be late or I need to text them or whatever the rules are, or I need to ask for more time. Similarly to when a child is four or five, it's like, you know what, this ex explaining why this is another consistent thing. What is the reason behind why you're trying to do something by that? I mean, sometimes as parents, we just say, no, no, you're not allowed, but we don't give the reason why when you tell your child is, well, because I'm worried about you. If you come, if your art, your curfew is 12 and you're coming home at two, those two hours, I'm really worried about you because I love and care about you. So I would like you to do X, Y, Z. Can you agree to that? Similarly to your child, when they're screaming for more iPad time, you know, why are you telling them to get off? It's not because you're trying to be that big, bad parent that's trying to prevent the fun um, and not have them enjoy themselves. It's because you're trying to protect their brain, that there are reasons behind what you're trying to do. And I think that's really critically important all the way through. And yes, of course, depending on the age and stage, the words you use might be different. The information that you impart might be different. But education and taking that proactive approach and explaining, taking the time to explain to your child why you're doing it is really critical. I hear from kids all the time because I work with kids all the time and they're always saying, it seems like my parents don't like me. I don't think they love me because they're always saying, no, I can't do anything right. These are the kinds of things they're saying. And the parents are like, well, of course I love them. But sometimes to that child, it feels like they don't because they're constantly saying, no, you can't do that. Why are you doing that? Why don't you do more of that? And it becomes this thing instead of making it feel like they're on the same team, because really you are any parent child, you know, relationship, it, you are on the same team, but sometimes people lose sight of that and they feel like they're on opposing teams. And I think it's a really important point you're making because you've talked about um, the pillars of connected parenting being um, empathy and connection. But I wonder when we're talking about slightly older kids and adolescents, in what ways would you say connected parenting um, fosters independence, which is partly, I think, what you're alluding to there in that co-collaboration piece as well? Absolutely. It, at different ages and stages, your role as a parent changes, right? So in the early stages, it's all about like when you think about babies, you are doing everything. You are regulating for your baby that as they come into toddler childhood, you're with them. You're showing them the world as they get into sort of the you know later childhood tween stage. It's more about, OK, I'm going to do this with you. Teenagers really 
it's really that kind of opportunity of the parent having that ability to let go and give them that independence. And this is where you alluded to this earlier, Leanne, that the self-awareness is key because oftentimes we are triggered by something that it's our own recording in our head, something that happened to us. And we end up parenting from fear rather than love. And adolescence is a tricky time for this, for parents, because we're fearful because their brains are not fully developed. They seem to be making very rash and, and you know risky decisions. And that ability to instill confidence in them, that is the best thing that you can do. I trust that you've got this. I'm here for you when you want to talk. And number three, I talked about this earlier, is try to listen. Be curious. Ask them. If you're confused about something they're doing, lean into it and say, you know what? I'm confused. I, I didn't quite get what you said there. Can you tell me more? I love that phrase. Can you tell me more? Be curious about them. Let them talk to you because our inclination is often to talk at our adolescence and impart all this wonderful knowledge that we have. But remembering that if your audience isn't listening to you, it's a moot point, right? I mean, you're, if your teen has tuned you out because you're droning on about your 529th lecture about why they should or shouldn't do something, you might as well not be talking. You will get more out of listening to them once they feel listened to, then they'll move into that that ability to really truly listen and maybe talk to you, maybe come to you um, about certain things. Trust is key, you know. If, I, if especially with an adolescent, if they don't trust that you're going to be able to be there and listen and not overreact. Um, my daughter said that to me one time when she was telling me a story about something, um, and I was getting all mama bear on her. And I was like, "That's you know." And she looked at me straight deadpan. And she said, "Mom." If you're going to do that, I'm not going to tell you anything anymore. And it was that cold, you know, shower that I needed to be like, well, that's not what I want. So I had to change my approach. So really with, you know, adolescents, parents being very mindful of how their, their own issue, their own self-awareness is really important um, so that you can really tune in and align with your team. And the other thing, Leanne, I would say too, is that a lot of the times I hear from parents, um, my teen doesn't want me to, they go and they shut the door. If they're in their bedroom, they don't want to talk to me. I can tell you because I work with your teenagers, they want you there. They might eye roll. They might go, oh, they don't want, they want your love. They need your love. They need your boundaries. They need your support 100%. They can't navigate this world on their own. They want you in it. Um, and it might not seem like it that uh, all that much at the time, but they are listening. They are listening. With respect to, Connected parenting and what the science is saying. Could you take us through that and paint a picture for us of that? Absolutely. Um, I, the science is complicated, right? I mean, anytime, you know, and I, I get to this part usually in a presentation and I see parents thinking, oh, is she going to go all sciencey on us and use big words? Well, no, that's the whole reason why I love the whole knowledge translation piece where I try to take complicated concepts and, and drill them down. And for connected parenting, it really comes down to Jennifer has a really great phrase for it, where she just kind of calls it emotional medicine. And, you know, it's, it doesn't require prescription, but the ability, what happens to your brain. And when you have a connection with someone, your brain gets flooded with these amazing chemicals like oxytocin, serotonin, when you truly feel in sync, when you feel, if you think about a time when you've been going through something difficult and someone just sits with you, maybe holds your hand, gives you a hug, doesn't say anything or just says, wow, that sounds really hard. You're, you just relax, your whole body relaxes. 
You're not in fix it mode. You're not in problem solving mode. You're not in don't worry, the sun will come out tomorrow mode. You're just sitting in it with someone else. And that's really the science behind um, with behind connected parenting, what we look at. We talk a lot about not the whole brain, but particularly the prefrontal cortex, which is obviously complicated to get into today. But, you know, fun fact for everyone, it is not fully developed until a person is 25 to 28 years old. So this magic number of 18 that we've come up with where we think our, you know, children are adults at 18. Yes, it might say so on paper and legally, but there is still like one quarter of brain development in that prefrontal cortex to go. That part of the brain is really kind of like your CEO. It is your executive functioning. It's how you prioritize, regulate, organize yourself. And what we talk about in Connected Parenting is that as a parent, you can almost think of yourself like the prefrontal cortex for your child as they're growing up and you take sort of different roles within that. So when you're getting frustrated because you've repeated yourself for the umpteenth time, it's because their brain isn't developed. It's, it's a brain development concept and an actual ability at a certain age to do certain things. That's why adolescence is hard because that part of the brain's on fire during adolescence. So sometimes we're saying, why would you do that? And they're like, what were you thinking? And they're like, I wasn't. And it's quite, quite literal. Um, the other piece that we talk about is that connection between the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala. Because often as parents, we get triggered, we get fired up, we get angry, and often sometimes we start yelling. So what happens when your brain goes, sort of goes offline? Dan Siegel does a great job of doing that model of the hand, um, you know, where he talks about this being the prefrontal cortex. And when we get angry, it flips off. And so the two critical pieces of communication where the prefrontal cortex is talking to the amygdala, it's not talking to each other. So it's very hard to make a rational decision. So those are some of the key pieces of the science. So we do marry the science with the actual emotion uh, piece as well. What would you say then that some of the keys are for parents who are looking to practice a connected parenting approach in terms of how they can actually execute that and make that happen within their families? Yeah, I mean, there is a fantastic website. So it's simpleconnectedparenting.com. Jennifer has put out, and she continues to put out multiple in the hundreds of podcasts. Um, and it drills down the concept quite nicely. There's an online course that you can take. And then, of course, there's people like me who, if you want to have more specific one-on-one -on -one counseling or coaching, um, then you can contact me as well. And we can sort of look at your situation specifically. It's really wonderful. I often am telling my clients, you know, go listen to this podcast because then they get sort of the background and then we can apply it doing a lot of almost like role play where we're practicing because the calm method, although it seems very easy in, um, you know, to talk about, it's like, well, of course I connect with my kid or I listen to my kid. But when you, when you put it in practice, it's, it's hard, you know, it's hard, especially hard when you, I hear parents say this all the time to me, it's like, I know what I'm supposed to do, but when it comes down to the big game moment, <laughs> I fail miserably. And that's normal. That's completely very typical. What I say back is if, you, if you're a sports enthusiast, it's a great example. You don't just go out and play the big game. You practice in between. So you use these little brilliant moments in between in order to, um, when it's game day, that you're, you're kind of ready and you're prepared and you're in the best position possible to do it. Um, so all those different things, practicing, you know, just practicing chit-chatting with your kids. Uh, those are some of the easy ways to sort of get into the connected parenting. And, and of course, reading on the internet. It's always a, a fun thing without getting overwhelmed. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's the key for sure. So let's talk about that a little bit more, Ulrika. When you talk about, you know, when does a family need to consider individual therapy versus family counseling? Mm, that's a great question. Um, so one of the things that I find sometimes people are not aware of the different types. So, I mean, for example, if your child um, has a diagnosis or something more than it, it's, you know, it's a therapy, it's a clinical psychologist, maybe a social worker. There are also a lot of situations where families just want to learn more how to communicate, or maybe they have a specific, um, maybe their child, um, they're noticing that they've tried you know, we've all been there where we're trying to teach to our child and we have the answers, but they're not listening. So you might want to seek someone else out, um, a third party like a me or someone else or, you know, to help your child with emotional regulation, learning social emotional skills, that kind of thing. Or if it's something more serious where you're noticing um, behaviors across the board that you would want to seek a therapist, a clinical psychologist, someone that can really dive deep um, into those particular issues. Um, when it comes to family therapy, it's often, it's all about the relationships right within. And it's helpful to have somebody almost like a mediator, kind of hearing the different pieces and, and being able to pan back and look at the perspectives and help them sort of put the puzzle back together again. Uh, I think those are kind of the key uh, areas of when someone would seek it. I would also say, you know, it's interesting because I often argue to say, you know, wouldn't it be great if everybody had like their own personal counselor or coach for their whole life? Because we all need someone to talk to. And sometimes we're not in crisis. And that's the best time to be doing that work because we're all evolving. We're all, you know, have, you know, things that we've brought from our past and what we're working on currently, where we want to go in the future. So sometimes people want to just in, in sort of these optimum times where you're feeling really great. It's kind of a, um, you know, um, I think it'd be paradoxical, uh, you know, the word, but um, to say, oh, I'm going to go seek therapy when I'm feeling really great. I'm going to go seek a coach, but it's actually one of the best times because your mind's really ripe and, and open to it. That's a great piece of advice because it certainly wouldn't be, um, you know, top of mind to most for most people. You know, it's so interesting because we live in a time where there's never been more ways to communicate and to connect with people. Yet many people feel disconnected, certainly within families, potentially from their kids. How would you go about explaining how the connected parenting approach can help in these disconnected times that we often find ourselves in? I think the um, the key piece and sometimes, and, and that's why these types of scenarios where you and I are talking are really helpful because sometimes parents haven't thought about this. Sometimes parents seek out um, help or support when, as I was saying, like their child is in crisis or they're in crisis. And the awareness piece, the self-awareness piece is probably the number one thing that I would say because when you are self-aware and when you are able to self-regulate and when you are able to be fully present, that is when you can be more connected to other humans. And I'll be honest, it's scary when you see the research, you know, when you, I was reading a study that it's sort of the first of its kind for, and looking at 19 to 24 year olds, they're the first sort of generation that's grown up with this technology and the number one thing, there's lots of things in the study that that was shown, but the number one thing, and we're seeing it over and over again, is that people are losing their ability to socialize and connect with other people. Why? Because they've got their heads in their phones or they're on, you know, their technology. 
And so that's just one way, just disconnect from that every once in a while. You, you Sometimes you'll see on your friend's Facebook pages or Instagram, wherever, I'm disconnecting, you know, being aware of that, planning out times, having rules in your own home, you know, no phones, no cell phones allowed at the dinner table. This is our chance to connect. You know, you're in the car, you know, made, that's the best time to have great conversations with your kids. Sometimes we're like, mom, can I have my phone? Can I play my game? And the next thing you know, the whole car ride's done and they've just sat and played their, you know, games. It is, it is the number one biggest hurdle for, for the disconnection that we're feeling right now. I mean, without going into all the other things and, and that's going on in the world, but that's something tangible. Like one of these things that you can start doing today is just setting some limits for yourself and number one, role modeling for your kids. You're not sitting on your phone at the dinner table while you're telling them to put their phones away. Um, this is one way that we can start trying to connect again. Instead of texting somebody, pick up the phone and call them. You know, better yet, book a date to go out for dinner or have a coffee. Um, utilize those abilities to socialize and, and connect with others. So much thoughtful food for thought. Ulrika, uh, <laughs> Job family and child counselor and part of the team at Connected Parenting. We so appreciate your time and your perspective today. Thank you so much for having me, Leanne. It's been great.